Let us pray. Lord God, as we come to open Your Word this morning to see how You do keep Your Word concerning Judah, concerning the downfall of Judah because of their idolatry, Lord, may we understand You keep Your Word today as well. God, we ask that You'd bless Your Word here today. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand. And as always, point us to Christ, that King where safety is found. And we pray this in His name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please do so. Take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 23. Second Kings 23, we'll begin at verse 31 and we'll read through verse 7 of chapter 24. Hear now the word of God. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. And Pharaoh Necho put him in bonds at Riblah in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and laid on the land a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in the place of Josiah, his father, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. To Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoahaz away, and he came to Egypt and died there. And Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give the money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and the gold of the people of the land from everyone according to his assessment to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Joachim was 25 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebedah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldeans, and bands of the Syrians, and bands of the Moabites, and bands of the Ammonites, and sent them against Judah to destroy it. According to the word of the Lord that he spoke by his servants, the prophets. Surely this came upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done and also for the innocent blood that he had shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood and the Lord would not pardon. 
Now the rest of the, uh, the deeds of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come again out of his land, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt, from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. The last two Sunday mornings, we've been looking at Josiah, the last godly king of Judah. We saw last week how God led Josiah to, to bring in a reformation, a reformation of worship, a reformation of obedience to God. And we saw that renewal and reformation. We saw how Josiah was a unique king. However, with Josiah's repentance, with God bringing in this reformation, the destiny of Judah was unchanged. Now, what was that destiny? Well, it was to be destroyed. Turn back for a moment to 2 Kings 22. As Josiah there gets word, uh, the word of God from Huldah the prophetess, notice at the end of chapter 22, verse 20, God says to the prophetess, Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. God kept his word to Josiah. He would not see the disaster, but his sons, would. Now, as we look at our text this morning, we, we begin really the last section of, of 2 Kings, and we'll notice something. We've noticed this before. We notice this back in, in chapter 15, that in this last section of 2 Kings, our writer, he's, he's in a hurry. Again, this is not new to us. The writer of 2 Kings, he's telling us the the story of Judah after Josiah's death. And so in the next one and a half chapters, we, we get that distinct impression that he's in a hurry to finish this story. He, he doesn't want to spend a whole lot of time on the downfall of, of Judah. But what we do know is, is that as he covers the reigns of four kings over 22 years and in quick Succession, what we do know in his message is this, that in 22 years, Judah and Jerusalem, they were finished. They were going to be led off into captivity. And there was nothing that anyone could do about it. In the next one and a half chapters, we will cover the, the reigns of Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin and Zedekiah. And this morning, we look at the first two of those reigns in Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim. We begin, first of all, with Jehoahaz's reign and captivity. And now, who is Jehoahaz? Well, he is one of the sons of Josiah. And Jerusalem and Judah, they did not see good days after the reign of Josiah. 
For the next 22 years, one trouble after another will come upon Judah until it is destroyed. And so we read of Jehoahaz, beginning in verse 31 of chapter uh, 23. He was 23 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned three months in Jerusalem. And what's odd about this is the fact that Jehoahaz is the younger son. He is the younger son. He is the one made king first by the people of the land over his older brother. Now we don't know for sure why that was, why the people of the land chose him instead of his older brother, but it it may have been that, that they thought that he would be the one to avenge his father's death. Remember last week his father was killed by Pharaoh of Egypt. And so maybe they saw something in him that would think, well, he will go, he will avenge his father's death. He will will avenge that death against Egypt and against Pharaoh. And his name means, oddly enough, Yahweh had seized. And what is about to happen? Well, Judah is about to be seized. Babylon is about to come and take Judah captive. Jerusalem will, will by and large be destroyed. And so we have the younger brother serving ahead of the older brother. And then we hear God's testimony of him in verse 32. And and it's a common testimony, not only of the kings of Israel, but of most of the kings of Judah. And it is this, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Now the writer doesn't tell us what type of evil, but we can think what type of evil, idolatry, was probably reintroduced. After all the reformations of his father, he brings the idols back in. He brings in the, the, the sacrifice to false gods, dead gods, and it was evil. Again, we don't know of the extent of that evil, but we do know that the Lord only had him there for three months. And then what happened? Well, he was taken into captivity by the same man who killed his father. Verse 33, and Pharaoh Necho put him in bonds at Riblah, the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and laid on the land a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah king, in the place of Josiah his father, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoahaz away, and he came to Egypt. And he died there. This is the beginning of the judgment of God upon Judah. A king that serves only three months as king of Judah, who's taken into captivity by, again, the same man who killed his father. And then, uh, as well, his brother then is put in his place as king. And so Jehoahaz, he's taken to Egypt, and there he dies. Now, I guess the good news for him is this. That he does not die in Babylon, but in Egypt. But he dies nonetheless. As Pharaoh made his brother king, Jehoiakim did, then did the bidding of Pharaoh. And this was probably why he was made king. He, Pharaoh knew that Jehoiakim would do his bidding, especially after seeing what he did to his brother. 
And what was that bidding? Well, to give to the Pharaoh silver and gold. He gave more silver than gold. That's because in Egypt, silver was more valuable at this time than gold. And so Jehoiakim, as he gave this silver and gold to the Pharaoh, how did he get it? Well, he taxed the people. He taxed them to get this money and to send it to Pharaoh Necho and to give it to him so that there may be peace. So that Pharaoh Necho would not come against him. So that he would survive politically. And so that's the first thing we, we see in here. We hear of Jehoahaz and his reign and captivity. But then we hear of the reign of his brother. And now we are introduced to a man we've heard before. And we're all familiar with him as well. But we're introduced here by Neb- to Nebuchadnezzar. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebedah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Now those opening verses of, of, of this section, it gives us some background not only to the reign of Jehoiakim, but also about Nebuchadnezzar. We hear of a place called Rumah. That was in the Megiddo area. That tells us that Josiah also probably controlled that area. And, and, and so Nebuchadnezzar, he, he's already going to be making inroads into that area. Now, who was Nebuchadnezzar? He was the king of Babylon. His name means Nabu had protected my offspring. His father had defended Haran in 609 BC from a counterattack from the last king of Assyria. You remember Assyria? They were the ones who took the northern kingdom captive, Israel, the ten northern tribes. They were taken into Assyria. But what is happening? What is happening in the world at this time? Babylon is growing stronger. Babylon is beginning to overtake Assyria. In the following years, Nebuchadnezzar will counter Egyptian advances uh, from Carchemish on the river Euphrates until after his death. And then his son will do the same and defeat Egypt. And we get a taste of that here this morning in our text as well. He will defeat the Egyptian garrison at the battle of Carchemish and chase them to the west. Now, as we hear of this, what did Nebuchadnezzar do to Jehoiakim? Well, he makes him a vassal of Babylon. Now, why do you do that? Well, verse 37 gives us the key, doesn't it? That Jehoiakim is just like his brother. But both were unlike their father. Jehoiakim also did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. As Josiah had turned away from idolatry and the worship of false gods, his sons, they go back to it. Now again, that's a little bit of a warning to us as as Christian parents, isn't it? That our children may not always follow our faith. 
That they may revolt and rebel against it. But we do have promises to us in God's word. But yet, we may see them rebel. We may see them go against the, the true worship of the one true God as the sons of Josiah did. And so Jehoiakim became... A vassal of Babylon. For three years, the, 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 our verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 24 tells us. And then, as he was a vassal, then after three years, he turns and he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. And then we come to verses 2 through 4. And these are probably the most important verses in all of the text here this morning. Because in verses 2 through 4 of chapter 24, the writer of Kings, he's giving to us a theological view of the history of Judah. And what is that theological view? Verse 2, the Lord sent against him. The Lord sent against Jehoiakim. Now who did he send? He sent the Chaldeans, the Syrians, the Moabites, The Ammonites, the Lord sent them against Judah to destroy it. Again, these are God's people. Why would God do that? Why would God send these pagan armies and marauders and and these, these pagans? Why would He send them to destroy Judah? Because He has spoken it. It was according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by his servants, the prophets. Again, what was that that line of no return for Judah? What was that line that they crossed where the Lord said, I am not going to put up with you anymore? It was the sins of Manasseh. The idolatry of Manasseh, the, 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 the child sacrifice of Manasseh, that was even too much for for God. And so the Lord sends these peoples to Judah to destroy it. He is keeping His word. Verse 3, Surely this came upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of His sight. For the sins of Manasseh, according to all that He'd done, and also for the innocent blood that He shed. Again, he sacrificed his children. People in Judah were sacrificing their children to these false gods. And Manasseh filled with uh, Jerusalem with innocent blood. And notice at the end of verse 4, And the Lord would not pardon. Did you hear that? The Lord would not pardon his sins. The shedding of Innocent blood was both a a cruel act of tyranny and a a deliberate breaking of God's law. And we find that the Lord was not willing to forgive it. The Lord would not forgive the shedding of innocent blood. And then we have the wrap-up of Jehoiakim and his reign, the rest of the deeds of Jehoiakim, all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Jehoiakim died, he sleeps with his fathers, and then Jehoiachin, his son, reigns 
in this place. But then look at verse 7. This is where we see Babylon getting stronger and stronger. And the king of Egypt did not come out again out of his land, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Egypt's power is getting less and less. Babylon's is getting stronger and stronger. Now next week, Lord willing, we will, we will look at not all of the rest of, of this section, but most of it, and we will look at the last two kings of Judah. We will see Nebuchadnezzar coming into Jerusalem and capturing it and taking the people of God away. But until then, what application can we make here this morning? Now, as we went through the text, as we read it here this morning, we we might find that this text is, is quite tedious and it's very straightforward, isn't it? There's not a whole lot of excitement found in it. We might say that it's really... Quite boring. We read throughout though that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The two sons of Josiah did evil in the eyes of God. There's nothing refreshing here for us. And sometimes people think parts of the Bible are so boring like this section of Kings. But that's not the fault of the writer. It's not God's fault either. We need to realize that though there is always a bite of holiness and spice to uprightness and evil. And sometimes evil is sheer tedium. We hear time and again of wicked men. Wicked men, wicked kings, wicked rulers. And and there's not much exciting about that because it reminds us of the wickedness of the world that we live in. And it might be quite depressing sometimes. We see wickedness all around us. We see evil all around us. But why do we have these sections? Why is it that God puts them there? Not only to teach us the history of His people, but also so that holiness may stir us and godliness fascinates us. We, we should have been fascinated a few weeks ago by Josiah. This godly, holy king of Judah. The last one who turned away from idolatry. He turned away from wickedness, who repented of his sins and the sins of his people and only for his sons to undo it all. You see, what fascinates us is godliness amongst sinful people. Now, we are all sinful here this morning. We are all sinful. Every one of us here this morning, we sin against the Lord in thought and word and in deed. That's what we know, even Even as Christians, we still go back to that and we sin every day. But the fascinating thing is, as God looks at us in union with Christ, He sees us as godly. Think of that. You know your sins. You know the sins you committed this week. You know the sins that you committed this day. And yet God looks at you through Jesus and He sees you as godly and holy. So that's what fascinates us when we hear of all the wickedness in the Bible. And and as we go through the Old Testament, as we've been going through the Old Testament, much of the wickedness comes from who? God's own people. 
His own people. God does not hide the sins of his people. He did not hide the sins of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. He did not hide the sins of David, the king and the man after God's own heart. He did not hide the sins of Solomon or any of the other kings of Israel and Judah. Why? Because he wants us to understand that sin is a part of our lives until Christ calls us home or until he comes. But even in the midst of our sin, there is forgiveness through Christ. And God views us in the righteousness and holiness of Jesus. Second, Judah's history we see this morning, it is a doomed history. God's word has been spoken. Judgment is coming. And there's not anything anyone can do. Now, we're not surprised by it. I hope we're not. We shouldn't be by this time. We saw it with Israel, the northern kingdom. We see it now with the southern kingdom. Again, Judah has passed the point of no return. Josiah delayed that judgment for a time. But his sons, they go back to their idolatry and wickedness. And we see that God's patience with Judah has run out. And that reminds us of something very important as well. God's patience with sinners will only last for a certain time. You know, there are many living today, they, they, they feel that, they fit that mode that Peter, uh, that Peter uh, speaks of in his epistles. They think there's no judgment coming. Jesus is not returning. How long has it been? Two thousand plus years. He's not coming. They're, they're living their lives much like the people in the days of Noah. You remember Noah, right? In Genesis chapter 6, beginning there and, and going through uh, Noah, the, the wickedness on earth was great. And, and Noah began building this boat. There had been no rain. Why is he building a boat? And he takes many years and he builds this huge ark and and then the rain begins. Why was that? Well, God was sending judgments upon the earth because of its wickedness. And Noah and his family were saved. And two by two of every animal went into that boat to preserve those animals as well. And now people think that, that Jesus' return is much like that. They're like in the days of Noah. There, there's no rain. There's no judgment. But God's patience will one day end. We thank God for that patience today, but one day it is going to end. And, and that patience with sinners only lasts for a certain time. And after that time, there is judgment. God promised judgment against Judah, and we see that beginning here this morning. And God has promised judgment upon this world. And one day it will come. One day, God's patience will come to an end. And when that happens, what will we see? We will see Jesus. We will see Christ. We will see Him come in His glory. We will see Him in a way that we never pictured Him in our minds, in our hearts. And we will see Him to, to do what? To come and judge the quick and the dead. Now, we hear of judgment. We've heard of that a lot over the last few weeks because, again, that's what the end of 2 Kings is all about. It's about judgment, the judgment of God against Judah. 
And we know judgment is coming upon this world, but is there safety from God's judgment? Is there a refuge from that judgment? And the answer, and we thank God for it, is yes. That safety and that refuge is found in Jesus. Now, how can that be? How can Jesus protect us from the judgment of God that is to come? Because he suffered the judgment of God for us at the cross. You know, every sin you've committed, every sin that you've committed in your life deserves judgment. The wages of sin is what? Is death. We can't get around it. We will die physically because of sin. We are dead spiritually because of sin. You see, that refuge that is found in Christ is that He suffered death on the cross. And not physical death. That was enough. He did suffer that. But spiritual death. He suffered hell on the cross to save and redeem sinners. You see, He is our safety. He is our refuge. He's the only refuge we have in this world and the next. There is no other. And so for us to be safe from the judgment of God, what must we do? We turn to Jesus in faith and repentance. We turn to the One who, who did what we could not do. Understand, Jesus in His life did what we cannot do. He lived in perfect conformity to the law of God. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much we think we do outwardly, inwardly, we transgress God's law every day. And Jesus perfectly obeyed outwardly and inwardly the law of God for us. Think of every temptation we are tempted with. Jesus suffered every temptation. And yet obey God perfectly. And then he went to the cross and he became that perfect sacrifice for sin. Remember back in, in, in the Old Testament, well, the Passover lamb was to be what? As perfect as that lamb could be. No blemish. And Jesus was that lamb. That perfect Passover lamb of God who went to the cross and he died for the sins of his people as our sins were transferred to Jesus there on the cross. That is your refuge. That is the safety that we have in the day of judgment. And so what are you to do today? You're to come to Christ. You're to forsake your sin. You're to turn to Jesus. You're to turn to the only one who can save you and redeem you. And you do so recognizing that His death was your death on the cross. That when He died, as you come to Him in faith and repentance this morning, that He died for you and your sins so that you may live. So that you may live eternally with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. And so as we come to Christ in faith and repentance and the judgment of God is turned away from us because it has been placed on Christ at the cross. And that is good news, isn't it? That we will not stand before God in judgment, but in salvation. Because Jesus took that judgment for us.
May God add his blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that Jesus took our place, took our judgment upon the cross. And Lord, I pray if there are any here this morning that they they need to know that wonderful salvation that is found in Jesus. Lord, reveal that to them now by your Holy Spirit. Show them their sin, their need of Christ, but don't leave them there. Bring them to Jesus. Save them and redeem them as they cry out to Christ this day. And Lord, may we all here this morning trust in Jesus and only trust in Him. For we have no other Lord nor Savior. And we pray all of this in His name. Amen.